Leslie Morris is the curator of Modern Books and Manuscripts at the Houghton Library in Cambridge, Massachusetts. You're very familiar with the New Directions archive. Well, um, I was fortunate enough to know Jay Lachlan while he was alive, and when he died and bequeathed the archive of New Directions Publishing Company to us, I was in charge of packing it up and then supervising the cataloging of it. So I've been involved with New Directions from the time it arrived here at Harvard, 1997, I think it was, and have kept involved with it ever since because, of course, they continue to publish and they continue to send us their records. So it's a relationship that we do maintain even after Mr. Lachlan's death. So James Lachlan? Oh, we usually called Jay, sometimes okay. JL. Set the company up in 1936. He did. He was still um, a sophomore at Harvard. And as the son of a very rich Pittsburgh uh, family, he was kind of looking for a direction in life, wanted to be a poet, had studied with Dudley Fitz at Choate uh, in high school equivalent, private school, and uh, was very interested in literature, and, and Dudley Fitz encouraged that in him. Jay had a summer working for Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas. He was Gertrude Stein's driver. And uh, that kind of got him interested in more experimental types of poetry. So he decided to go off and study with Ezra Pound. How did uh, that work? How do you go off and study with Ezra Pound? Well, over his lifetime, Pound was extremely generous with other writers um, and very much a mentor to them. I mean, everyone knows about his relationship with T.S. Eliot, another Harvard graduate. And James Joyce, of course. And James Joyce. So Pound had a very stimulating effect, I think, on writers. Jay was certainly well enough off that he could support himself while he was in Italy with Pound. And Pound finally told him that he didn't think that he had much promise as a writer. What he needed to do was to go back to Harvard and do something useful. Mm -hmm. And to Pound, what was useful was publishing writers, because the more experimental of the writers had a very difficult time with the established publishing houses getting into print. And that's exactly what Jay did, and that's how New Directions came into being. Well, in fact, they published uh, Pound, didn't they? Yes, they did, yeah. even when Pound was out of favor. Okay, I'm going to be assuming the role of a young, which will take some effort, <laughs> a collector who's interested in New Directions. So if you were me, what would you do? I think it's always important when collecting to collect something that interests you. I know that some people, they see the results of the very high-profile auctions in New York and London and think, wow, you know, I could really make a lot of money on this. But it's very chancy. You're much better off uh, investing your money in something that actually does interest you. So with New Directions, I think there's, there's a lot that one could focus on. Certainly the individual authors that they published, many people are interested in. They are, but the prices for Tennessee Williams or Wallace Stevens are astronomical. They can be. First editions, I guess. First I'm editions. About, yeah. But of course, New Directions, when it made a commitment to an author, 
published not only kind of the major works, but the minor works as well. Williams is an interesting example, and, and certainly yes. I mean, Williams is one of the great American playwrights. That's why he's collected, not just as a New Directions author. What's interesting about collecting plays is that, sure, you can start with collecting Williams and New Directions imprints, but you can expand that as well. And plays are a very interesting thing to collect because subsequent editions usually will differ because playwrights are always tinkering with their work mm -hmm. and they want it to be a successful stage production. Sometimes things that work on the page don't really work when they're produced and so Williams is an example of someone who would go back and rewrite and then republish. So that would be fascinating. Yeah. The different different editions that are revised. They're mm -hmm. not just reprints. Right. And then you can start collecting the theatrical ephemera, you know, the first productions of plays when they went on tour. If your interest is in uh, theater and popular culture, there's a lot of scope there and not particularly expensive to collect. What are we talking about not particularly expensive? Well, you know, I'd, I'd have to check the market on particular things, but... Certainly, Williams' plays were produced a lot mm -hmm. and in many different areas of the country. And some of that material um, is not going to be on the Internet. You might have to take advantage of knowing where the used bookshops are and in that particular locality to find that particular production. So it would take some work. It's not an easy thing, but I don't think it would be all that expensive. Plays, in fact, typically don't cost as much as novels might. That's right. I wonder why that is. I think that has a little bit to do with how the academic curriculum is set up. Certainly universities like Harvard will teach a course on, you know, the great American novel. Poets are a particular uh, focus of individual courses. Mm -hmm. And so certain authors become part of the canon of what is taught. And those authors tend to increase in price because there's academic interest. The institutional market, people such as me, start collecting first editions of people who are taught. And so that tends to drive the market up. I guess you do that because it's it's obviously good for the institution to to have early editions so that students can come in and have a look at how they were presented to the world. Well, I mean, our, our mission as a library is to support the teaching and research of the faculty and students at Harvard, and secondarily, the larger research community. But yes, I mean, we have quite a busy classroom upstairs with uh, professors bringing in students, sometimes only once in the course of a, a semester-long class, sometimes uh, every week, to look at what did George Eliot's novel, Middlemarch, look like when the public first saw it. Yeah. You know, what are the ads in the back of the book? What mm. did this publisher think would appeal to the people who were reading this book? Different so, yes, bindings as different well. Different bindings. Yeah. We, we tend to take a more curriculum-focused approach to our collecting, and that's one way where institutional collecting does differ from personal collecting. You know, I can't indulge my personal fascinations and wishes because I'm spending institutional money. So I have to look at what is being taught, hopefully kind of predict trends in the next few years. There are some authors that we buy the books as they're published so that we can collect more inexpensively things that we think will have a lasting interest to the faculty um, over the longer term. 
I want to get to that because if you think they're going to be important in the coming years, then obviously us collectors would be uh, wise to, to listen to you. Let's just get back to New Directions. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you could give us an idea of what the books, what they looked like when they first started publishing. Perhaps there were some series or there were some quirks or idiosyncrasies. Well, New Directions did publish a number of series. You know, I think all publishers try to use a series to draw in a certain segment of the population. I mean, the very first New Directions publication was New Directions in Prose and Poetry, a series that they kept up over a very long period of time. At first, they tried to be um, on on a regular basis. It then became a little bit more irregular. I find that particular series fascinating because, you know, New Directions initially, at least, until it expanded and had more staff, was very much Jay's personal interest in new poetry. And it's fascinating to see who is included each step of the way. And as taste in poetry evolves over the 20th century, you see who Jay thinks are going to be the up-and-coming authors, and he'll try them out. So really it's a reflection of his taste, and he's, mm-hmm. he's sort of putting it out there to see if the general public agrees with his taste. Right. So you, you see the kind of list of authors changing over time, um, and that's a very interesting thing. He published a series called The Poets of the Month, later The Poet of the Year, you know, little pocket-sized things, um, not terribly expensive to buy, um, even today. A few of the, the better-known poets are, are more collectible, yeah. but a lot of the series is not all that expensive on the market. And what did they look like? Were they brightly colored covers? or? Well, the poets the poets of the month did have dust jackets on them. Hardcover. They, they were hardcover, not highly designed. I think it was perceived as being a more utilitarian thing. You could kind of pick it up. It wasn't very expensive. You could carry it around with you. The great designer of the New Directions house was Alvin Lustig, who started designing for New Directions in the 50s and has a very distinctive style, graphic, very colorful in part of it, decided later to go to black and white, which again was very distinctive. How so distinctive? The colors, for example, like what would it look like? Well, it's kind of hard to describe in words. There is a great website that has images of all of the covers um, that Lustig designed done by his widow that I would certainly recommend. That gives you um, a very good idea of how attractive and distinctive those, those dust jackets were. And again, affordable? Lustig is a designer who's been getting an increasing amount of attention. With dust jackets, of course, it's always a question of condition. If you're looking for a New Directions imprint with a pristine Alvin Lustig dust jacket, it probably will cost you. But if you don't mind a little bit of, you know, uh, dog ears along the margin or or signs of shelf wear, um, it will be less expensive. And you can always upgrade your collection as as your means increase over time. And I think that for an individual collector, you'll see something you think, oh, wow, that would be really great for my collection. <laughs> yeah. And you know, if you can life. afford it, you go for it. And yeah. if you can't, then you'll check the price on the Internet, which is just so easy to do these yeah. days, and kind of decide, could I wait for this? I mean, oftentimes, if I'm checking a New Directions title that seems a little expensive to me, I'll go online and I'll find out, well, you know, there really aren't that many copies of it out. It really is scarce. 
other, on other occasions, I'll check it and I'll say, my God, there are 10 copies of that for sale. I could afford to wait and maybe wait for an association copy, for example, because we do try not just to collect first editions, but to collect a book that the author has given to someone so that it has that little bit of extra um, resonance and research value. Well, it's also unique. Right, yeah. Okay, so we've talked about a series. We've talked about design. And, you know, Jay did occasionally uh, publish books uh, with Giovanni Marderstig on the Bodoni Press, and those were very deluxe productions on handmade paper with very nice bindings. But there weren't all that many titles um, that he did that with. And I think most or many smaller publishers do that to try to appeal to the collector's market. Oftentimes it's not that the text itself has any particular textual value, so it's not the kind of thing that Harvard as an institutional collection would necessarily buy. But for an individual collector, I mean, there is something really wonderful about the feel of the handmade paper and the bite of the press into the paper and and the beautiful binding. It's a joy to handle. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it takes me back to John Lane Mm -hmm. and the Bodley Head, and they were genius at targeting that collector's market with limited editions of books that they may have put out in slightly different forms in larger numbers. Mm So there were some of those then to look for with New Directions. Not a lot, but... uh Um, Not a lot. When the archive came here, unfortunately it did not come with a complete set of New Directions publications. It gave you something to do then. It it does give us something (laughs) to do, and and we buy, you know, dozens of them every year. The more limited edition collector's things are not high on our priority list. We hope to receive them as gifts someday. Um, and probably will. Well, in fact, as you say, it's probably more interesting to get the first trade edition because that's how... The public saw it. Exactly. That's how it was introduced to the world. I'm speaking to Leslie Morris, curator of... Modern Books and Manuscripts at the Houghton Library at Harvard. Thank you. Perhaps we could move along in time from... So it was the 30s and 40s where there were anthologies and a focus on more experimental poets. What else did the publishing house, New Directions, do to make its name in the world? I think one of the most important contributions that it had uh, was publishing foreign literature in translation. So that Hermann Hesse's Siddhartha, which certainly for the 60s and 70s was an iconic text, that was first published by New Directions. Was it up to them to choose the translator? Yes, of course. I wonder if they would have experimented with a few translators before picking the one that they thought would do the best job. I don't know. I've never read anything in the files that would um, illuminate that for me. Translation is a difficult field, and there aren't that many practitioners in it. Those who are good translators quickly become known. There are certain translators like Elliot Weinberger, who does a lot of translating still for New Directions of Latin American literature, for example. Pause. I think Neruda. That's a, a very important decision because it will determine how that particular work is accepted or rejected uh, by the English. Yeah. When you read translations, sometimes they seem quite stilted. And, you know, as you're reading, you're just, you believe that, you know, surely, 
<laughs> this best-selling author in his own language wrote more easily or, or in a more lively manner than the translation that you're reading. And then other translations, you know, you do get a sense of the personality of the author coming through even in another language. That's why the field is so small. It's, it's a very difficult thing to do well. And of course, as a translator, you're really the servant of someone else's language. And so if you're anxious to publish your own stuff, it can take a lot of energy and concentration to be a translator for someone else. I have a great respect for translators. It's funny, too. Translations into English typically aren't as expensive as books that are being written in the mother tongue of the author. And I think this goes back to the kind of totemic first edition. And certainly first editions are important, but you can have the first edition in the original language, you can have the first English translation, then you can have the first British edition. You know, New Directions might then license the translation to a British publisher, then a first German. So there are many firsts, and that has certainly its own intellectual interest. If you look at an author, and we were talking earlier about kind of graphic styles and dust jacket designs, it's fascinating to me to line up the first edition, the first edition in Britain, France, Germany, Latin America, to see what the graphic difference is. What do people think is going to help sell that text in that particular country? I did that, exactly that, with Gabriel Garcia Marquez's short novella about a poor the funny thing was on the cover in the British edition, the nipple was showing on the woman. In America, the nipple was covered up. Uh-huh. What does that tell us? Different yeah. standards yeah. for what the public will accept. So uh, as far as collecting uh, new directions, I suppose their first edition of some of these authors in an English translation, that might be an interesting collection. Yes, and I think it would yeah. be quite affordable. And, you know, I think that's a reflection of what the American collector's market is like. People don't really collect foreign authors all that much, and that does tend to keep the prices down. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're collecting F. Scott Fitzgerald or the big-name canonical authors like that, it can be extraordinarily expensive. Yeah, and it's really not a challenge. I mean, if you've got the money... In fact, talking of Fitzgerald, New Directions, were they the only ones that... um Yes, they brought Fitzgerald back into print. um, And there is a series called New Directions Classics where unduly neglected texts of the past are published again and find a new market. Fitzgerald's The Crack Up, New Directions, brought back into print, and then later The Great Gatsby as well. It's hard for us to understand today when, you know, every high school senior is mm-hmm. reading The Great Gatsby yeah. that it might have been out of print, but it was. It, you know, it wasn't considered the classic work that it is now. And would Jay Laughlin be responsible, would you say, for bringing The Great Gatsby back into the, the canon, if you will? I think yes. I mean, he certainly had a team of people who advised him. Many of those people are still with New Directions today and continuing the tradition. But Jay, it was a business to him. Yes, it was a business that in which he could express his belief in the importance of, of new and innovative literature, but he did want things that would 
itself and to keep an eye on what's being taught in the universities and colleges. And I think that today, if you looked at the New Directions website, they do market certain of these texts to the academic market. These are teaching editions, and that provides a very useful income stream, as well as keeping a lot of stuff in print that might not have been kept in print. Because you're going after the New Directions books to fill out the catalog. What have been some of your most satisfying acquisitions? Well, we were talking of Williams earlier, and it was pretty thrilling to get early association copies. I'm always on the lookout for copies that Jay gave to people, but they're very hard to come by. Is that um, because you didn't sign too many, or that people want to hang on to them? I don't, I don't know. You know, most of the New Directions publications that we've been acquiring have been the more obscure things because, again, you know, we're interested in the, in the whole panorama of what their publishing is. Probably we've been acquiring more of the foreign authors than of the big names. When you're an institutional collector, you often hope that someone else is going to collect that stuff and give it to you later. Well, especially, I suppose, if you're able to make the world aware of the fact that you're after this mm -hmm. this stuff, then if there is a collector out there, it benefits them to, to donate it to you as well. That's right, as well. they can take a tax deduction. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the more high-profile material is material that you don't really worry is going to vanish completely from the market, whereas the more obscure of the writers, because they don't pay so much to a dealer to, to market them, they're sometimes a little bit harder to come by. We trawl a lot, and every once in a while just search for a New Directions Publishing Company corporation in the various book databases and see what comes up that looks interesting. If we can wind it down by getting back to the collector who may not have a huge budget, wants to spend, say, $5,000 over the course of the next couple of years. Based on your knowledge of the catalog, and let's say assuming that they're interested in experimental poetry. It doesn't have to be a big name or anything, but where would you advise, given your understanding of what their interests are? I mean, they love dust jackets too, let's say. How should they spend that money? Well, I think that New Directions in Prose and Poetry as a series has a lot of potential. Certainly, if you're interested in the new, that's where the newest of the new first appeared in New Directions. If you have a more graphic interest in focusing on the Alvin Lustig design period in New Directions, really the 50s and the 60s, perhaps focusing more on the foreign authors that were being published as being less expensive. And, you know, I think certainly Latin American literature has been taking off quite a lot in the last 10 to 15 years. But I think it's still possible to get some nice bargains, particularly since some of those New Directions translations are the firsts. That's a good way to have an interesting collection of firsts at not all that much out-of-pocket expense. That's the direction that I would be going. I will just mention, for any collector, the availability of a good bibliography is a great thing. So I pulled out of the stacks a book called Published for James Laughlin, which is a bibliography of New Directions publications up until 1997. The nice thing about the bibliography is that it's arranged by year. That's another way that you can collect. You know, maybe you want to collect all of the New Directions publications in your birth year, for example. Mm fairly recently published and not expensive, but it's always nice to have that thing List. that you can use to, to <laughs> check off. Yes, I've yeah, got that. That's um, right. And yeah. use it to help you in, in developing your collection. 
What about a history of New Directions? Is, is there such a thing? Everyone, I think, who's interested in New Directions is waiting for uh, the publication of Jay's biography, which has been in the works and will be published by New Directions in association with Norton, who's been their distributor for many years. I'm hoping that that will be out in about a year, if not sooner. There's also a very fun title um, that was published, Them That Was, or Something That Was, which was a fun collection, kind of alphabetically arranged on different topics in New Directions, with kind of pithy quotes from letters in the New Directions archive, or you know, a jacket design, or, or whatever, that gives kind of a, a fun overview of the history of the company. But really, the biography should be a great read. Was there anything that came out, of, say, at the 50th anniversary? A very brief history that ND themselves published. Okay. And Lachlan, did he uh, write anything himself? Yes, and that's kind of a New Direction-related collecting interest yeah. that would be extremely affordable. I mean, Jay was very modest about his abilities as a poet, but he received extremely good reviews. Say for Pound, of course. Right. Uh, not a, a name that most would know in terms right. of uh, being a poet. Well, that's interesting. Yes, you yeah. could collect his own publications. And an area that we haven't really talked much about, ephemera. The press releases that were issued by the company over the years. How would um, you get a hold of those? You know, again, that's something that wouldn't be expensive, but that you really would have to look for. It's ephemera fairs in various areas Paper of the country. Fairs. There's yeah. an ephemera society that's yeah. very active, um, and those are great places to kind of go and get an idea of all of the possibilities in collecting. New Directions issued little postcards to advertise new publications. That kind of secondary material is quite affordable, would take a lot of intelligence and persistence to collect, so probably a very rewarding area to collect. He didn't write a memoir then, did he? Not really. I mean, he published his memoir of Pound, and New Directions, under his guidance, published correspondences between New Directions and, and the big authors like William Carlos Williams, Dylan Thomas. You know, those are fabulous from a research point of view to see the back and forth. That's terrific. Thank you so much for taking the time to give us a new perspective on New Directions. You're very welcome. I hope lots of people uh, are inspired by it to go out and start collecting. I've been speaking with Leslie Morris, who is the curator of modern books and manuscripts. At the, it's funny, I always want to say Houghton Mifflin. No, the library is named after Arthur Houghton, a Harvard graduate and noted American collector himself, who gave the money to build the library. We do have the archive of the Houghton Mifflin Company here at the library, but mm -hmm. there's no blood relationship between Arthur Houghton and Houghton Mifflin. Thanks for clarifying that, <laughs> and thanks again for your time. You're welcome.